Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, no mai haramai kito tātou au huruhuri. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World, ko Clark and Cannon tēnei. This week, assistant producer Ellen Rikers heads to Auckland Museum to watch some science in action as one researcher unravels the secrets of the mysterious sunfish. Some people might say that I'm a bit of an undertaker. <laughs> and in a way I am, because I'm looking after basically giving um, these fish eternal life or eternal use. But there's a bit of a process to achieving eternal life. I'm standing in front of a large stainless steel vat in the corner of a lab at the Auckland War Memorial Museum. It's been locked up for a few weeks now, with sharks marinating in a pickling liquid inside it. Now, warning me about the impending smell, Head of Natural Sciences Tom Trinsky is opening the vat to preserve a new fishy specimen, a sunfish. This little sunfish is actually very valuable because of its size, but also the condition that it's in, where it was found, etc. So we've decided to keep it, but also very valuable for research. We're going to pickle it, what we call it, or fix it, um, using something like an embalming fluid, um, and we'll leave it in that for about a month, and then we'll put it into alcohol for long-term storage, and there are specimens in museum collections that are hundreds of years old. I'm pretty stoked about the fate of this sunfish, being preserved for potentially hundreds of years for scientific research, because a few months ago, I found it washed up in an estuary about an hour and a half north of Auckland. It was late May and I was walking my dog. We were plodding down this sliver of gravel alongside the tidal mudflat. There are mangroves and pohutukawa that stretch down to the water. And I was about to turn back up towards the road when I felt the dog pull on his leash. So I turned to see what he was sniffing at. And it was this fish, round and about the size of a steering wheel with this googly eye staring up at me. I couldn't believe it. This was a fish I'd only ever seen in pictures or on museum walls. It was a sunfish, also known as a moller. If you're unfamiliar with what a sunfish looks like, it's like a fish that's been flattened in a sandwich press. It's a leathery pancake with big eyes and a perpetually open mouth, so it just looks like it's always surprised. And it has no tail, just a kind of stumpy flap. And because it has no proper tail, it needs another way to propel itself through the water. So it has two elongated fins, one sticking up from its back and the other from its underside. It's bizarre. Definitely recommend a quick Google so you can see the ridiculousness we're dealing with here. They're also the world's largest bony fish, reaching more than three metres long and weighing 2.7 tonnes. But this one I'd found was only young, a juvenile, and I happen to know of one scientist who might be very interested in it. My name is Mayene Nuko, and I'm an ocean sunfish researcher. Mariana is a research associate at the Auckland Museum and one of the world's few sunfish experts. 
Today, she's going to check out the sunfish I found, take some important measurements and do a little dissection before it gets preserved. But first, we catch up outside the museum so I can get some of the backstory. Marianne first dipped her toes into the weird world of sunfishes in 2013 when she was looking for a PhD topic and stumbled across a molar mystery while on holiday in Bali. And I just happened to go up to Bali on a holiday and meet a friend of mine and I realised you can see sunfish up there and I became so fascinated because no one knew where they came from or where they went. They, the sunfish would just rock up you know, during part of the year for a few months and then bugger off again. And, um, and I thought, oh, and there was, you know, this would be a good PhD. So, you know, I got started and I became very fascinated with sunfish. Mariana had planned to research how tourism might be affecting the sunfish who gathered on the reefs every year to have parasites picked off them by cleaner fish. But very quickly a more pressing problem became apparent. Who exactly were these sunfish? Because their appearance didn't seem to match the common ocean sunfish, or mola mola, which over the years had become the default species identification for anything that looked, well, sunfishy. So I was trying to identify what species was up there in Bali and uh, realised the taxonomy of the sunfishes was quite a mess. Mariana took a CSI approach, using DNA to pin down the identity of the Bali sunfish. And this meant getting up close and personal with these very big fish in a very cool place. Where I have dived with them in Bali, they seem to occur at beautiful sites. <laughs> they, they really pick their areas, so they seem to like upwelling areas. So when, when they come into the reefs there is often during cold water upwelling where other fish species are also very active. So it's usually spectacular just, just to be there. The other reason is that you never quite know whether you're going to see them or not. And so the hunt, like the hunt for the, it's thrilling. It's brilliant fun to do research on them by diving because you never quite know whether you're going to see them. And it is like, it's like the hunt, the thrill of the hunt. And then the other thing is that if, if there aren't divers around and you're quiet and not kind of, you know, swimming full speed towards them, they might come over and check you out. And they have these massive eyes and they sort of, you know, they can look in different directions. And so they totally come over and have, you know, look you up and down. And there's something so wonderful about animals that seems to be curious about us and not just swimming away from us as fast as they can. Um, and of course, then when I, when I did field work in in Bali or Nusa Penida, um, I had to try and get a little skin scrape off them for genetics. So I had to get really, really close. And it is just impressive to be in the water with something that's, you know, bigger than yourself. <laughs> so they're not actually massive fish up there um, compared to how big they can get. They're quite small. Let's say they are between a metre and a half and two metres long. And at that stage, they would weigh, you know, two, three, four hundred kilos, 
but that's still a lot more than me that's a lot more mass than that so you're up again you know up close with something that's just impressive in itself yeah so very very cool to dive with them it turned out the barley sunfish were a known species mola alexandrini commonly known as the giant sunfish or bumphead sunfish as this species grows larger, it develops characteristic bulbous chins and Neanderthal brows, a description that matched what Marianne had witnessed exactly. She'd been able to confirm this identity using a genetic analysis carried out by a team of Japanese scientists a few years earlier. In this study, the team had fished up 100 sunfish specimens from around Japan and used genetics to split them into the two known Mola species – Mola Mola, the common ocean sunfish, and Mola Alexandrini, the giant or bumphead sunfish. This Japanese research team had also analysed a handful of samples from around the world, including Australia and New Zealand, and this hinted at an even bigger Mola mystery. I had lots of these genetic samples from you know, various parts of the world, including New Zealand, and uh, realised that there was a new species here that uh, wasn't described and of course that was too much of a temptation to not follow up on so I spent my PhD between uh, Indonesia, Australia and New Zealand trying to cover this area. Maybe there was a third Mola species out there but no one knew what this species looked like. Mariana became a sunfish detective. She scoured social media museums and fisheries data for any molar specimens with unusual features. Her breakthrough came in 2014. And at one stage, a very small specimen had been caught on the long line and was small enough that the observer had hauled it out of the water and placed it on the deck and gotten this perfect picture of it. Mariana zeroed in on the back end of the sunfish. So sunfish are uh, like a hard suitcase. They can't really bend or anything except for at the back they have that flap that's called the clavis which is sort of the tail end if you will and that has a band of smooth tissue or soft tissue that enables that flap to move from side to side. This accidentally caught sunfish had a little indentation on its backside that divided the clavis in two. There's one little structure on the back end that I had never seen on any sunfish before and then when I saw that I was like that might just be what I'm looking for and that gave me that little hook that when I looked at other pictures of larger species I could check do they have that structure or not and suddenly I could start to see differences that I couldn't see before I had that little hook. Now all Mariana needed was a real life sunfish specimen with this back end structure so she could match morphology with genetics. I had a, um, a phone call from Christchurch Museum and they had three sunfishes on the beach there down near Birdlings Flat and someone had been out on a quad bike and had taken pictures and they sent them and it had that structure and it was the first time I sort of had the opportunity to both have a tissue sample and the fish and basically see if, the, if my theory was correct that this fish was really more like this new species. And so before I could get there, a storm came and washed these fish out. And I was just devastated. And then not long after, a, a fourth fish washed up. Same place, 
And I went, I flew from, from Perth to Christchurch and rented a car and just drove there. And one of the locals in Birdling's flat was helping me out. I didn't know him before, but he was very helpful. And um, uh, I arrived at night and he took me down to the beach to show me where this fish was. And there it was under the stars. And it was crazy because I, it looked exactly like in the pictures, of course, but yet... It's so different when, you, when you're there, when you see it. And, um, and I didn't quite know what to do. So I, <laughs> I just kind of went and, and patted it and, and said, hello, little buddy. <laughs> and then um, I was, you know, it was, it was a very, very special moment thinking that, you know, something that many people have seen before, you know, it's not like this fish had never been seen before, but it hadn't been recognized for what it was. So it was quite special thinking, wow, my theory may be correct, this is this new species. And um, yeah, went back and the next morning went back down and had a good uh, beach ne necropsy. <laughs> Mariana named the new species Mola tecta, the hoodwinker sunfish because it had hoodwinked scientists hiding in plain sight for 125 years. Once she knew what to look for, she began to find hoodwinker specimens in museums. In fact, the largest known hoodwinker specimen has been displayed at the Otago Museum for the last 50-odd years. It's one of the first things you see when you walk in on the wall of the foyer. Molotecta seems to be the dominant species down south in New Zealand, while Mola alexandrini turns up in the northern parts of our big blue backyard. Mola mola, the common ocean sunfish, is actually quite rare in New Zealand waters. Since identifying the species that had hoodwinked everyone, Mariana has shifted her attention to other sunfish conundrums. How can you tell apart the three mola species when they're small, before their characteristic humps and bumps have formed? And how do sunfish grow from teeny babies that could fit on your thumbnail to multi-ton fish the size of a car? That's where the sunfish I found comes in. As a juvenile mola alexandrini, it can fill in the gaps in the timeline from minute to massive. Let's head back to the Auckland Museum where Mariana is examining my sunfish for the first time. It is very cute. It's the first, um, so of this species, Mola alexandrini, um, I see very few dead ones of these. So mainly here in New Zealand when sunfish strand, they tend to be Mola tecta. And I've dived with a lot of Mola alexandrini and I have seen similarly small sunfish that have been uh, pickled in formalin and stored away in museum vats. So this is the first fresh uh, Mola alexandrini I've ever seen and it is, it's gorgeous and I'm just, I just want to get in there and poke it and see what, <laughs> what secrets it, it has. And one of the first things that you kind of see is that it has this beautiful sheen here, this white belly. And that is always lost on museum specimens that have been stored in formalin. There's very little of the original coloration that's uh, preserved. So it's really neat to see this area here that is, you can see it's almost like pearl, hey? And then we can see the remnants of body patterns. So these 
don't know if you can see these little spots up here. So the um, dorsal area or mm. the area that, you know, the top area is darker. Mariana is admiring the silvery coloration of the sunfish. At this age, the skin of the sunfish is relatively smooth, if a little leathery. But as sunfish get older, their skin becomes rough like sandpaper, thanks to tiny little structures that grow called denticles. In fact, the surface is so sharp that Mariana recalls brushing up against a large sunfish while diving off Bali and coming away with a grazed hand that was bleeding into the water. And the other thing is, check this little mouth out. Yeah. <laughs> and you can see it's, the beak that it has here, these are actually fused teeth. Wow. So it looks a bit like a parrot. Yeah. And then we can't see them, but if we uh, put a probe down there, we would see teeth in the throat as oh well. It's a bit like aliens, you know, that has like teeth down there that, that, that are very sharp and kind of little needles that sit down there. Yes, you heard right, throat teeth. Even though the adults mostly eat jellyfish, which you wouldn't think would need that much throat crunching, jellyfish slurping is what their fused together teeth or parrot-like beak helps with. And the other thing that's really cool is the back end. So this is not a tail. At the other end is that important structure that is key to distinguishing the three molar species. Not a tail, it's a clavis or back flap or pseudo tail. And when sunfish are small, the back flap looks very similar between species. And as they grow, this is where the biggest species difference is. So it's a very good place to look for species characteristics to identify sunfish but the small ones they all look the same so we're looking for like a hook like where where on this clavis or back end can we find species differences when the sunfish are small and we have so we take x-rays of the back end and then we can count exactly how many little rays are in there and there are these little bony formations these ossicles so we can see the shape and the size of them and so that your sunfish will go into that collection where we have then from very small and then upwards and upwards so your one is important because it's exactly during that time where we don't know how many ossicles would it have when it's this size we attempt to weigh the sunfish, but the scales only go up to two kilograms, and this little one is heavier, which, by the way, is a common problem with sunfish, usually those of a much bigger stature. We often don't know exactly how much they weigh because they break scales, except those big fellas are often pushing past two tonnes, not two kilograms, like this little one. One of the largest Mola Alexandrini specimens washed up at Whangarei Heads in 2006. It weighed more than 2.2 tonnes and was transported via freight to the Auckland University of Technology car park, where it was dissected. But the record holder is a Mola Alexandrini from the Azores in the Atlantic Ocean, found floating earlier this year. It weighed in at 2.7 tonnes and measured 3.59 metres high and 3.25 metres long. Mariana is now measuring up this much smaller sunfish. Well, number three is 36.2. 
taking a series of standardised measurements from mouth to back flap, eye to mouth and so on. And then Mariana wields her scalpel and makes a careful incision. Some fish are hard to dissect because it's really hard to get in. You have to cut through this really thick skin and, and nothing bends. So you have to sort of cut out little bits to sort of get in there. Since this will be a museum specimen, she wants to keep it as intact as possible. She's not doing a full dissection, only one little cut to see if this is a male or a female. I'm not mistaken. This. Wow, the gonads are tiny. Oh, it is. It is a girl. Gosh. By closely examining the sunfish's gonad, or sex organ, Mariana was able to determine it was likely female. But as she stuck her scalpel inside the sunfish, she accidentally nicked its intestine. So that's part of the intestines there. Uh-huh. <gasps> okay, petri dish. I think it might have something in its stomach. It just looks like brown gunk. Yeah, it does not look appetizing at all. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> no. And I mean, we are down towards the exit here, so it could very well be what we would call poo. Mariana is going to send this brown gunk to colleagues in Spain, who will analyse the genetics of the nearly poo to see what organisms made up the sunfish's last meal. Diet is one of many sunfish secrets Mariana is keen to reveal through her research. Another is... How old are these huge, multi-ton fish? The ageing of them, because we don't know how old they are and how fast they grow, it's a bit difficult to do robust sort of assessments on whether they're threatened or not. We know they grow pretty fast in aquariums, says Mariana, but that's the equivalent of sitting on the couch eating snacks all day and may not translate to wild fish. It would be really good to establish whether they're slow growers or not. And also when they mature, so for molar detector, for example, at the moment, we have two data points in terms of maturity. And that has come from a specimen here in New Zealand that was one and a half meters long. And we looked at the ovary and it did not look like it had spawned previously. The other one is a 205 centimeter long one from the States which didn't look like it had spawned either. And that is puzzling because a two meter long fish should have spawned. With the dissection finished, next up for the sunfish is to go into the pickling bath to be preserved for possibly hundreds of years. Like I said, it's a juvenile, so it washed up before its time. And Mariana tells me that scientists don't really know why they strand or wash up with no visible signs of illness or injury. Maybe they just get lost. But in getting lost, this sunfish is helping us find and define the biodiversity we have and are losing. Here's Tom Trinsky again. As we know, there's a major biodiversity crisis at the moment and we're losing species faster than we're describing them. So sometimes um, describing them is capturing them in a moment in time and space and we know where they're distributed or contract their shrinking of distribution over time as well. So it's actually quite an important principle for us to be able to monitor change in the environment is to be able to track species changes over time as well. Mm -hmm.
So if you happen to find a lost sunfish, here's what you should do. If it's stranded but still alive, Mariana suggests trying to refloat it, if it's small enough. But if, like me, you find a dead sunfish here in Aotearoa... Bring it home in your freezer. I will pay good beer money for it. <laughs> for anyone who, who has a sunfish in their freezer. And if it's larger, just a skin sample for genetics, it's really good. However, here in New Zealand, it's important to um, consult with the local iwi because they may have um, a wish of what needs to happen with the sunfish. Not all, but some have, you know, they would like something specific to happen to it, um, either before or instead of, of the sunfish going to science. So it's always good. So the best thing to do is to call Doc to the Doc hotline. And Doc are aware of that. Um, I'm very keen on sunfish, so they will get in touch with me. And take a few snaps too. Upload them to iNaturalist or get in touch with Mariana directly via her Ocean Sunfish Research website. And then maybe you too can contribute to unravelling the sunfish mysteries we've yet to solve. Thanks, Ellen. That was Ellen Rikers, the assistant producer of Our Changing World. Thanks also to Dr. Mariana Newgard and Dr. Tom Turnsky from Auckland Museum. This episode was produced by Ellen Rikers with sound engineering by William Saunders. Tim Watkin is the executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. You can find and follow Our Changing World on your favourite podcast app, and that way you'll never miss an episode. Check out the show's website at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld for some sunfish photos and links, as well as access to the Our Changing World back catalogue of episodes. We'll also share some photos on Facebook and Twitter, where you can find us at RNZ Science. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Kincannon. Kia pai tō wiki. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.